last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. Ben fucking Braunecker? Who pulls Ben Braunecker? And then he got cancer. I'm just desensitized to it, Matt. You can't wait for the show to be over, and I'm doing all the work. It's an undeniable fact. You can't take me anywhere, Matt. And how does DK Metcalf even run at full speed with the drag created from all these red flags? And he's the original Hollywood. He is the original, yes. The real Hollywood. Now, he's no Hakeem Bustler. <laughs> no one's that bad. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's, it's always a dig. And we talked about Dontrell Hilliard for at least two minutes on the Sonic Truth podcast last week. You were there. I saw you in the monitor. You don't remember? I'm not here right now. If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! What? Me? And So he was efficient in all phases, and was an impressive size-adjusted athlete, and the motherfucker doesn't get drafted? Doesn't get drafted? Shame on you, 32 men who call yourselves NFL general managers. And Jimmy Garoppolo and his stunning good looks and large equipment. Oh, 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 oh baby. Oh, shirt's coming off. Oh, it's going to be a good show. And was that Kirsten Dunst dream a wet dream? <laughs> No, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once. When I was 15, I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And tonight, a special guest for everyone, Raymond Summerlin. You can find him on Twitter at RM Summerlin, formerly of Roto World, but on with us tonight. And I'm looking forward to it. What is going on, guys? What's up, Ray? You know, just living the dream. Living that unemployed life, uh, <laughs> avoiding preseason with, with all of my being, checking on the news like once a day instead of a thousand times a day. Like, it's pretty good. Life is going pretty well right now. Just when you thought he was out, we pull him back in. So you're in some dynasty leagues, Raymond. Oh, absolutely. I, I almost, I think I'm, I'm getting close to being exclusively dynasty in best ball. That is my dream. That nice. is my dream. Yes, that's the dream. You're living the dream, man. Dynasty leagues actually matter. You actually care about your rosters all season in Dynasty. And best ball, it's like having your team on autopilot. So that's not a big deal. If you're going to do a seasonal league, might as well be best ball. If not Dynasty, best ball. And in Dynasty, Juju Smith-Schuster 
Do we just need to get it over with and rank him number one? I'm going to answer your question with a question. Does it matter? If you have him in the top four with Hopkins, Odell, and Devontae, right? Is that, the, is that the top four? Can we be fine with that? It's right around there. Somewhere in there. If you have him in that group, right, does it, does it matter? Like, this is one of the things that I can do now that I don't have to be paid to care is that I don't have to think about these kinds of things because it's absurd for me to come on here and tell you that I know for sure that Juju Smith-Schuster, I'm going to put on my ESPN voice, hold on, the National Football League, that I know for sure that Juju Smith-Schuster is the number one dynasty receiver. He might be. If you like him that much, that's great, right? As long as you're not taking Josh Doxson number one, that's probably you're probably going to be just fine. But for me, for me, I think that DeAndre Hopkins has a very good argument because he's amazing. Deshaun Watson, when he's been with Deshaun Watson, he's amazing. He's 27, I believe, so it's not like you're getting a little too worried about him and his age. He seems that he has a game that should probably age well. He would probably be my number one pick. But if you told me that Juju Smith-Schuster is the top of your rankings, I'm not going to argue with you. Juju Smith-Schuster is four and a half years younger, and all those years to come are in his prime. Okay. I mean... That's the big difference. We have these guys rostered for life, Raymond. If you're going to tell me you're sure that Juju Smith-Schuster has a better career than Downer Hopkins, you might be sure. Great. I, I hope that you're right for and that he does. But like to say that you are 100% sure about something, and I understand that that's the game that we're all playing and that that's what we have to do, but I don't have to care anymore, so I can just sit here and crap on it because it's absurd. <laughs> oh, it's an absurd God. thing. Like Here's the thing. In oh, redraft no. this league, the redraft this year, there are four running backs atop the redraft. And there people come out and they write their articles about this is why you have to take Saquon Barkley number one. This is why, and then uh, two weeks later, someone on the same site will write, This is why you have to take Chris uh, uh Christian McCaffrey number one. And this is why you have to take Ezekiel Elliott, and this is why you have to take Alvin Kamara. And the answer to that question is, yeah, pick which one you like. That's the answer. I like Nuck. You like Juju. We'll be fine. Shameless nihilism. <laughs> From Raymond Summerlin today on the Sonic Truth program. Fire. Juju Smith-Schuster last year, 166 targets, number four among qualified wide receivers, and he started the season age 21. So he was 21 when the season started. By the time the year was over, he had 166 targets while sharing a field with Antonio Brown. It's one of the most impressive seasons we've ever seen. Not to mention... The 587 yards after the catch, which was number one in the league. Uh, I mean, I think he's a no-doubter. And if he is a no-doubter, at age 22, you got to rank him number one in Dynasty. But is he a no-doubter for the rest of his career? How long, do, how long do we think Ben's going to play? What is the quarterback situation? What has, has Pittsburgh in their recent history shown you that makes you think that the next quarterback situation is going to be good after that? Like, there's all sorts of questions. Well, that is the big argument against Juju Smith-Schuster is that we're not sure how many years he'll have with Ben Roethlisberger, but he'll have as many years with Ben Roethlisberger as DeAndre Hopkins has left in his prime. So does it matter in the context of this conversation? And we can't assume that the Steelers aren't going to go find a quarterback. It could be Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph was efficient, and he helped get James Washington overdrafted in the NFL. So congratulations to Mason Rudolph. He might be a league average quarterback that can feed Juju Smith-Schuster enough targets to finish top five in the NFL. The elite alpha wide receivers are quarterback proof. You saw that with DeAndre Hopkins, his... Fantasy points per game didn't move 
when it was Tom Savage. The target share went up. The catchable targets went down. His fantasy points remain the same. So the best of the best will be productive regardless of quarterback play, but we can't assume bad quarterback play. That would be like saying, oh, I was staying away from Christian Kirk because I wasn't sure what life after Sam Bradford would look like in Arizona. I mean, can you imagine? When you talk about DeAndre Hopkins, that's a bit of a spurious argument because you're saying, well, he was able to produce like that because the target share was higher. But you look at the efficiency numbers and they are absurdly different with Deshaun Watson than they are with every other quarterback he's ever played with. And so if your argument is it doesn't matter that Ben Roethlisberger leaves because they might have Mason Rudolph and giving all that credit to Mason Rudolph, uh, you're not respecting the mullet of Mike Gundy. And I don't really appreciate that, but we can come back to that later. But the, but if you're saying that, then what you're saying is that, well, for some reason, whenever Ben Roethlisberger leaves, they're going to throw more, which they throw, they threw the most passes in the league or somewhere around there. A lesser quarterback Sure. We'll lock in on his number one target more. That's the Tom Savage corollary. That's what we're saying? Well, that's what happened to DeAndre Hopkins. When Tom Savage entered the game, he locked in on Hopkins, partly because there was no Will Fuller. So we could iterate this out into infinity, but assuming that a team is not going to replace their quarterback with a quality quarterback is a fallacy. A lot of times teams have a need at quarterback and they go ahead and fill that need. And a lot of times they don't. I think that risk is low, that Juju Smith-Schuster's production will be severely inhibited by quarterback play in the future. No, we need to just discuss what happens. I've never made you speechless ever before, and you just had to take a moment. You had to take a moment. You were so upset right now with, with the fact that I won't engage you on this. My problem is you have me in a conundrum because I am so bullish on DeAndre Hopkins in seasonal leagues, and I am well aware of his splits with and without Deshaun Watson, especially on the efficiency side of the ledger. When Deshaun Watson is quarterback, DeAndre Hopkins is a god. And you could make the argument that even with Deshaun Watson last year, the targets weren't as catchable as they could have been. With Deshaun Watson a year removed from the ACL surgery, and that recovery, you can assume he'll be better this year than he was last year. And a better Deshaun Watson with Will Fuller helping to stretch the field and create yet more room for DeAndre Hopkins to operate, he's the number one wide receiver in seasonal leagues. And it could be by a fairly wide margin this season. I agree with that for sure. I am not as much of a long-term thinker in Dynasty, and so I think that that's some of the disagreement here as well, is I think that believing that you can project what's going to happen in five years is the is the height of narcissism because we don't know what's going to be true. This is my Kareem Hunt argument for this year. Well, I'm the right guy for this show then. We, we don't know what's going to be true in week 10. However, I can say that I know pretty sure that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be good this year. I'm reasonably sure that he's going to be good next year. And then after that, if Juju takes a step over him, which he might this year, I don't know. But if that happens in three years, not going to happen this year, then we are beyond kind of the scope where we can make sound decisions. And if you're that certain about it, sure, that's great. Go and pick him number one. But I'm telling you that being that certain about it seems unlikely. What if I told you Juju Smith-Schuster catches 300 balls from the jugs machine after every practice? Well, now, now his grit score has gone up. I mean, that's a big deal. Why isn't grit on the player profiler yet? How has that not happened? We haven't found a way to measure it yet, but as soon as we do, man, 
I'll let you know. I'm going to put a player profiler light in the sky. New metric here. <laughs> now, what about James Washington? Do you agree that he's trending toward bust? Well, it's a really interesting question to ask after he exploded in the first two preseason games. But I think that you and I agree about James Washington, right? He's not getting the snaps with the first team. I care more about snaps with Ben Roethlisberger than I do performances. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that I think that what we should glean from training camp and preseason is not how what a reporter thinks a player is doing in practice, but where that player is playing. That's why the Dante Pettis news is actually concerning because of what we've seen or what we've heard about kind of who he's been playing with and what's been going on there. But with James Washington, you're right. This is a guy now who, now I'm kind of a Dante Moncrief truther, so I'm not going to say anything bad about Dante Moncrief, but he had the opening there for the number two job. It doesn't come. Last year when he was on the field, I think you can most generously say that he was uneven when he was on the field. And so there's a lot of concern there. And then you add in the fact that I didn't particularly think he was a very good player coming out of school. I thought that he was overdrafted coming out of school. And it, it kind of makes me think that, yeah, that's where we're going. But I think we've learned our lesson now calling someone a bust after halfway through their second training camp is not going that way. But if you're asking me, is he going that way? It kind of seems that way. Seems that way. In San Francisco, Debo Samuel looks good. And when you go to his player page on Player Profiler, it looks really good. Could he be the number one this year? Just get it over with? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's in the realm of possibilities. I'm not sure if you could explain to me why Debo... So I put out my Dynasty ranks that are now look terrible because 17 things have changed since May, uh, which goes back to our previous conversation. But I had Debo in... I had him 7th or 8th. I had him ahead of... I know someone you love, Paris Campbell. I had Debo High. He was the 36th pick in the draft, something like that. They spent big capital on him. They don't have really any proven receivers. I know Pettis had a good into his rookie season, but there are no proven receivers there, depending on what happens with Marquise Goodwin. And I, I looked at that situation. I go, he's coming into a really good situation. Why aren't we thinking about Debo Samuel the way we should be? And then you'd watch him fall to... The second round in rookie drafts. And it, I've not understand, I didn't understand it then. And now that we're seeing kind of the trend line that we have here, I don't know. It's not surprising to me that this is happening, but I, I don't know why we're not thinking about Debo more as potentially the number one. Nate, what does the breakout finder say about Debo Samuel? What does the breakout finder say about Debo Samuel? Well, Debo Samuel was one of those guys that we. Ray, Nate does this trick where he repeats the questions so he has time to think. <laughs> well, when That's 10 minutes has gone by, yeah, yeah, 10 minutes has gone by, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give people space. So uh, this is what happens. I'm unprepared for this. Um, He's been shaken from his slumber. What's, yeah, I had to wake up. This truly was putting me to sleep. Uh, is the sort of his dynamic ability. I mean, that was the big thing coming in here. That's what you know the breakout finder liked about him. I think that's what a lot of people liked about him. The kick return ability, the rushing ability, you know, the, the ability to play on all three levels as a receiver. Um, I know Dante Pettis was the one that was drafted, you know, a, a year prior to Debo Samuel. But really, I, I'm with you. This is the guy that could ascend to the number one in this offense because he has the skill set. The question for me has been Jimmy Garoppolo for months on this show, and I will continue to stand by my question of Jimmy Garoppolo. You don't believe in Jimmy Garoppolo? Do I not believe in Garoppolo? And he's throwing a lot of interceptions. I, I don't think that Garoppolo 
has the body of work to have gotten the to garner the respect and the confidence of all these fantasy drafters. I have not been on board with the Garoppolo thing. I think he might be an adequate quarterback, but I'm not sure he's the upside quarterback that a lot of people are portraying him to be. The Patriots gave him away. All they got was a second round pick. The 49ers stole him. He's a stud quarterback with a huge penis, Nate. Oh, well, that that, my friend, might be true. Ray, what do you think of Garoppolo? Um, Yeah, I think that it's fair to question where we are now. I I say that all we have to go on, essentially, was that weird four-game run where he looked good in, I can't even remember how many of the games. That was so long ago, by the way. Do you remember that Brady was suspended for four games? Does anybody remember that? Deflate gate? I do. Yeah, that's the reason why Josh Gordon was reinstated so quickly. <laughs> because Roger Goodell had to do Robert Kraft a solid after he fucked him with Deflate Gate. But we had <laughs> So we had what, five games with Garoppolo in San Francisco that first year? We had was it two and a half games last year, something like that? So like to come out and say that you're sure that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a big upgrade. I think he played well in those stints. Bunch of 300-yard games when he first landed in San Francisco, and he looked good. That first year. Last year didn't go so well, if I, rec- if, if I remember correctly. Not as good. Not as, not as good. Definitely not as good. But yeah, I think, that, I think that it's fair to question what he's going to be. What I will say is if we're taking it from a fantasy perspective, he's so cheap um, because there are what 30 quarterbacks that every you would feel comfortable using in a two quarterback league like how how many quarterbacks deep do we go before you're really starting to get worried in two quarterback league it's every quarterback on every team with the exception of the giants and the dolphins i mean you could argue that joe flacco isn't going to be that productive but you know he's going to be the starter in denver and his receivers aren't the worst in the league so he's usable in two quarterback leagues and so, like, the thing I'll say about Jimmy, if we're trying to spin it from a fantasy perspective, is you have to—I think I like the weapons. I don't know if everybody else does. I like Debo quite a bit. We love Debo. I like the weapons. I like Kittle, obviously. Uh, and so the—so you like the weapons. You like the offense. You like what Shanahan was able to do with Mullins and Beat Hard. I know it's Bethard. <laughs> That's well what played. A, what a con that they that that family has run that they just they just went no it's spelled beat hard but it's definitely Bethard. all right champ but the but the uh, yeah so we saw what he's able to do so I think it's a really good situation but if you're going to come out and say that Jimmy Garoppolo is a top ten quarterback in the league I mean there's not that much evidence for it they have one of the worst pass blocking offensive lines in the league and Jimmy Garoppolo is not super mobile and that's going to be a problem for him. He, he, and the thing is, we went we went over this a couple of weeks ago, but he's got 360 pass attempts. Yeah, he had like a Russell Wilson rookie season pass attempts right there. It's just <laughs> it's non-existent. How can people be in love with this guy? I, I know he's very handsome. I'm gonna get blowback. Yeah, right. Big cock and handsome. I get it, but that doesn't get you fantasy points, Matt. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't say cock. You said cock. I said penis. Uh, well, that's no different. Continue with the show. What about George Kittle? I mean, he's the real number one on that offense. Just get it over with and put him at the top of the charts in Dynasty. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those tricky things, too, because and we're going to have a different philosophical belief about this, is that a player who's Travis Kelsey, who I actually don't even know. I think he's 27. Is that right about Travis Kelsey? 29. He's 29 already? He's already 29. It's shocking, but it's true. All right. Yeah, then I'm in on Kittle. 
as number one. Because 29, we're getting to the point, especially with tight ends, we're getting to a, a more advanced point with Kelsey. So, yeah, I, I'm perfectly fine with Kittle as the number one. I mean, there are obviously some regression concerns from what we saw last year after the catch. I think everybody knows that by now. If you've read any fantasy content whatsoever you've read that 30 times so there's no reason to really discuss it now but if we're looking at the situation and we're looking at the player himself um the i mean just how did how did we how did they miss on this guy like how did the nfl miss on this guy once they saw his size and what he could do physically like how did this happen i don't know you need to draft players with george kittle's athletic profile by the end of day two, you can't let these players fall to day three because you never know. You can't use the production at the college level as a major input factor like you do for wide receivers when you're talking about tight ends. If he's big and he's athletic, you draft him. Did you know that Travis Kelsey turns 30 on October 5th of this year? I did not know that. I'm, I'm trying to think of how my perspective of his age is messed up. So he lost year one to microfracture. Is that true? Was that year one he lost to microfracture? Or? He lost year two to that. He lost year two to microfracture. He really wasn't relevant until year three. Yeah, that's it. I had, yeah, I had a misconception about his age for sure. That's interesting. He also is young at heart, and he's having fun out there. Well, I mean, he has an earring. So. Yes, he has an earring. And he's dating multiple women on reality shows. He's doing a great job. He's doing a great job staying very, very young. What about Kyler Murray? He's very young. Can he break into the top five dynasty quarterbacks as early as this season? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, and I know there's been a lot of uh, concern, consternation about what we've seen early from, or what all of you have seen, I have not seen, I've just read about, early in the in the preseason. Yeah, you've made that very clear. You, you're not interested in the minutiae of the NFL any longer. You're over it. You're so over the NFL minutiae, Ray. I'm trying to take a stand for sanity here, and I don't like that you're pushing back on my sanity. <laughs> I'm not pushing back, man. <laughs> But these Jimmy Garoppolo interceptions matter, damn it. <laughs> Five in one practice, all in a row. Oh, see, 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 you're back. You're back. That's how easy it is to get you sucked back into NFL minutia. Oh, it's such nonsense. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this offense is going to be a breath of fresh air just from a pace perspective. And, I mean, obviously, this we're talking about dynasty here. But, like, going from 900 plays – to the at, at least 1,050 that they're going to run this year? Can I say at least? Yeah, 1,100. 1,100 that we're going to see this year from them? Like, th that simple fact, if you're a quarterback who has weapons around you, who's running 1,100 plays a game, and you can run, you are going to be a fantasy-relevant player. At least, at worst, you are going to be a fantasy-relevant in one-quarterback leagues. And I think Kyler Murray is good. I think that what they have around him with Christian Kirk, with Larry Fitzgerald, with some of those young receivers, although rest in peace, Hakeem Butler, we'll see what happens there. I mm. think that I think that it is it is inconceivable to me that Kyler Murray is not at least a top 15 redraft quarterback this year. And with his age, with the fact that he was number one pick, that puts him automatically in the conversation to me for top five in Dynasty. Now, some people are freaking out about Christian Kirk. He's missing snaps with the first team offense. 
even though he's their best receiver and he really shouldn't be playing at all. Yeah. So is he just bust proof at this point or are you worried at all about his preseason usage? I can't even believe I'm asking this. Yeah, I mean, bust proof, no, because things can happen and this offense could like it could not work. Like that's possible. I we can't be sure that even Cliff Kingsbury is a good college coach. You go back and look at the quarterbacks that he's been that he worked with in college. You worked with Keenum, which say what you will, but Keenum was an NFL player playing at Houston. He worked with Johnny Football, who Well, didn't Case Keenum set the college record for career passing yards? I believe he did. I'm not I'm sure some SMU quarterback, Garrett Gilbert, I'm sure has passed that by this point. But yeah, I think that I think that there were there were some Keenum did it in like six seasons too. <laughs> he did. He had the he was on the uh, Joel Stave plan. He had a medical red shirt in there. <laughs> but yeah, so you look at it, Johnny Football. He had Patrick Mahomes. So there's lots of there are lots of questions in this scenario. So if you're saying that he's bust proof, I mean maybe Larry Fitzgerald comes out as his swan song and catches 150 passes. Who knows? Wow, that'd be fun. That would be a good time. I have a lot of Larry Fitzgerald in best ball, so I'm, I'm hoping for that. But the but what I would say is is that I feel very confident about Christian Kirk. There's kind of this 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 group of wide receivers that is like Dante Pettis is in that group as well. That are these kind of young Calvin Ridley. That are kind of these young upside receivers. And I view Kirk as the one that I am most confident in because I like the offense. I like the situation. And I just this is a guy that was able to was able to produce last year in that Cardinals offense. And we don't think that he's going to be able to produce this year and what we're going to see from them. What's the target competition? It's Larry Fitzgerald, who's 35 going on 76. He's only 35? You could have lied to me about that. <laughs> you could have told me he's way older. You could tell me he's 42. I, I wouldn't have batted an eye at it. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> so good. He just turned 36. He just turned 36. The guy just turned 36. He's a very young 36, takes great care of his body. Unlike his best comparable player on player profiler, Jordy Nelson, he's actually older than Jordy Nelson, but unlike Jordy Nelson, he is still in the league. Hakeem Butler is heading for IR, broke his hand. So now the competition's down to Andy Isabella, Keyshawn Johnson, don't you Kevin, forget to say Kevin White's name. Yeah, you Thank say you. Kevin White. Actually, Trent Sherfield is next on the depth chart after Keyshawn Johnson. Good old Trent Sherfield. Given that depth chart, I think that Christian Kirk is pretty much bust-proof. And Hakeem Butler is trending toward bust. That's why I've been calling him Hakeem Bustler for the last <laughs> three months. And I've never had a more prescient take in my career. It's true. I've I actually had a really good long think about Hakeem Butler today when I saw the news or yesterday, whenever it was, when I saw the news about IR and how how precipitously his dynasty value has fallen from right at the combine. He was a top five overall rookie pick, right? In some drafts, he was the first wide receiver off the board. And then we saw what happened in the drafts and he's fallen. And I would imagine now if we're doing it, if you were doing a rookie draft now, like is he drafted in the the third round now you get tony pollard you get a lot of running backs that are flashing and you have wide receivers like terry mclaurin that are flashing as well miles boykin for sure yeah i wouldn't even draft him but he's a fourth rounder at this point it's really incredible to have i'm sure it happens and i'm sure it has happened before 
I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment here, but I can't think of off the top of my head a fall that quick. Like, like we're literally talking since April to today. That is how fast that fall has been. That's really amazing. So you could throw Gary Jennings in there, another fourth rounder that's tanking. But Gary Jennings was never the first wide receiver off the board oh. in Dynasty rookie draft mocks. I mean, he actually was. It's crazy to think about how fast he has fallen from early first round pick to fourth rounder in four months. It was so much hype though, right? Because as soon as the NFL draft was over, we all knew he wasn't the first receiver off the board anymore. It was clear the second the draft was over, you know, the second the, the first two days were over, you knew that Hakeem Butler wasn't supposed to be there anymore. So for all these people that drafted early, which many dynasty leagues do, they're left holding the bag. And like Ray said, I mean, this fall is just, yeah, this is hysterical at this point. I mean, it, this is to the bottom. Hakeem Butler also came out of nowhere. Yeah. No one thought that he was going to be a top wide receiver after the 2018 season concluded. Then the combine happened, and he vaulted up to wide receiver one in some ranking services. And then the draft happened, and he fell to a second rounder because he was a day three pick. And then training camp started, and he was behind Keyshawn Johnson, and he fell to the third round, and then the hand injury happens, and now he's a fourth rounder. That's the real-time regression that we've seen of poor Hakeem Butler. I can't call him Bustler anymore because I just feel too bad. Wish you all the best, buddy. Keep your head up. This is one of those – this was one of those years, and I guess it makes sense because the wide receiver position was so wide open. Like, there wasn't a clear – number one can I won't say clear number one because I'm sure people felt very strongly about whomever they had at number one but there was not a consensus number one there probably wasn't even a consensus top 10 at the position and so the draft changed so much and again I don't want to be prisoner of the moment that's right but the idea that we saw I think we saw more movement, especially at wide receiver this year in the draft. At running back, too, because if you remember back to Darrell Henderson, people thought of him as, at worst, in that group with Miles Sanders and David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs. But then he ends up going behind Todd Gurley, and we go, well, we don't know about that. He falls a little bit to the end of the first round, in some cases right after the draft. Then all the whole Gurley saga happens, and now he's climbed back up again. It's been a very... It's been a very odd year, I think, for rookie drafts. Yeah, tumultuous year for rookie dynasty stock. And you're right that we did not feel strongly about a particular rookie at the top of the rankings. Been going back and forth for months, A.J. Brown versus Nikhil Harry. And now at this point, with Josh Gordon reinstated, it's hard to feel confident about Nikhil Harry. We haven't heard from... A.J. Brown, since he experienced the hamstring injury in Titans camp, Paris Campbell has been on the shelf with a pretty severe hamstring injury himself. The only top wide receiver on our rankings that's been flashing recently and projects to have a significant role this season is Debo Samuel. That's why it's interesting to talk about where he was and why he was there. Why didn't because I did have him a little higher. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because who knows? He, he might tear his ACL tomorrow and it might be over. Nobody, We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, Jesus, Ray. I just, I mean, I'm telling you, the world is uh, terrible. And sometimes, and most, most of the time, terrible things happen. So if, but like, why didn't, why wasn't Debo thought in this way? 
I don't even know if he was in that group. You mentioned all of those guys, and you can also throw in Marquise Brown into that group. You can also throw in uh, Andy Isabella, who I was pretty high on, and might that might end up looking stupid in the very near future. No, it's trending in a positive direction for Andy Isabella. He's one of the few that was drafted in the first couple rounds whose draft stock has risen since training camp began. I guess DK Metcalf is kind of in that group as well. Yeah, DK Metcalf tore his knee up. Just like Hakeem Butler, he's going to start the season on IR. Despite what Pete Carroll is saying, Pete Carroll's injury optimism <laughs> could power a thousand suns, according to Patrick Doherty from Roto World, your former colleague. I'm still waiting on Thomas Rawls, man. He's going to come back 100% one of these days. <laughs> what do you think about this DK Metcalf surgery announcement, Nate? What do I think about it? I kind of came out of nowhere. Devastating for Seahawks fans. I don't. Well, the thing is, knee procedures happen often in the league. We've seen guys get knee procedures done and come back from it relatively quickly. I don't know the extent of it. It's like getting a filling at the dentist. I mean, nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, it sure seems like it. You know, these these surgeries aren't quite. It's not an ACL. I don't know if it's meniscus. I don't know what it is. It's outpatient. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to speculate. They're not even going to use anesthesia said anything well he doesn't need it it's dk metcalf he doesn't need it they're just gonna be drilling through muscle i mean clearly the the concern is that there may, may be recovery time to it but i don't believe that at this point in the season it's a new injury not something that he had about that he was working through and now that, um, that he won't bounce back from it soon i just don't think that's a decision that they would make so unless there's news that comes out that this is a new new injury um i don't foresee this being a, a long-term thing to have to deal with but it's not like so I kind of think that from what I've read, it's a scope and scopes. You are able to come back relatively quickly. I kind of from what I've read and I'm not going to trust Pete Carroll on any injury thing, but it seems like he he's probably not going to land on IR. He'll probably be fine. But this is DK Metcalf. And if we go back to his college days, oh, no. he was I know he was certainly not the the most um durable of players there and there were some weird injuries there was the neck injury right so yeah. it's not like it's not like you're saying that he's fragile by any means but if this is just another kind of another let's say point in the trend line then you are at least i think getting a little bit worried about that well then he's trending toward being mike williams for looking at players with former neck injuries mike williams had a lost season to start his career makes sense i don't know why you would you know insult someone that way you don't like mike williams mike williams is a hot commodity right now oh that mike williams he's a big breakout candidate ray i was thinking of uh bmw is who i'm thinking of you're thinking of mike williams formerly of usc there yeah been five mike williams one of the great bust wide receivers of all time i don't know why that that would be the mike williams that popped into my head but that <laughs> will always be the mike williams that pops into my head Imagine that. We're going to rebuild the passing game around Charles Rogers and Mike Williams from USC. you got to throw Roy Williams in there, too. Now, once upon a time, Ray, you followed the news when you were at Roto World. That's true. Jeff Triplett from the Times-Picayune, a beat reporter you know well. Yep. He believes Alvin Kamara is the clear alpha in that Saints backfield, and Latavius Murray will be more of a breather back than a committee member this year. So is Murray just a handcuff? And if so, should Alvin Kamara be in the conversation for number one running back in fantasy football in seasonal leagues? And 
the number two in Dynasty after Saquon Barkley? So I think that the answer to to your first question could be no, and the answer to your second question is still probably yes. I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. What I will say is that I'm not going to take Sean. I'm going to take Sean's Payton's word as much as I take Pete Carroll's word on injuries. Like they're kind of in the same range for me. But it does seem like when he talks about Alvin Kabara and keeping him fresh and making sure that they keep him where they want him to be touch-wise, that has been something that they've consistently done as well. It doesn't seem to me just like words. They went out and got Latavius Murray. I, I was going to say invested, but I, I what he could making $3 million this year or something like that. So it's not like, but they did make sure they went out and got him. They actually got a better player, Divina Zigbo, which, you know, we'll see what happens there. But so they have, they have options behind him. And I think they have them behind him because they, they really do believe in that. But that's not to say that Alvin Kamara is not still in the conversation for the number one picks in, in season long. He's still not in the conversation to be that second or third back, depending on how you feel about Christian McCaffrey's longevity in in Dynasty. I think that both of those things can be true. Latavius Murray could get six or seven touchdowns, and Alvin Kamara can still be a top five fantasy running back. We saw it with Mark Ingram and him, and I don't think Latavius Murray is the player that Mark Ingram is. So I, I think that I think that both of those things don't really go hand in hand, in my opinion. Nate, where should we have Alvin Kamara ranked in Dynasty? I think I was looking at the same thing here. I think that you've got to put him probably, to me, he's kind of in that neck and neck with Christian McCaffrey. I think that Barkley is ahead. I think that Zeke, if he's not pulling the stuff he's pulling, is ahead. And then for me, Kamara is right there with Christian McCaffrey. You know, Kamara's back-to-back years of 100 targets. You wish that his opportunity was a little higher, but I'm with Ray. I don't know that they're going to do that. They might want to keep him fresh. In the same way that we might see that with Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey's never going to be a 300-carry-a-year guy, and neither is Kamara. But you can see both of these guys you know, pushing 200 or over if the opportunity is there, but you know the targets are good in format where PPR is everything. So I, I would put him probably right there at three or four. We have him at four behind Ezekiel Elliott and just ahead of Nick Chubb. Yes, Nick Chubb in the top five. You agree with that? I, I think it's definitely a defendable position. I, I, I kind of like Joe Mixon. I think that the Bengals situation is better than people give it credit for. But that's a that's a conversation that's for my truth or status for a different day. But I think that I think that that's certainly a defendable position for Chubb. And what it comes down to, I think, are two things. What do you think of his ability to grow as a receiver? And I think we've seen leaps and bounds in that area. It's certainly what he was able to do last year. And I think about I, there was a touchdown that I runs in my mind, a receiving touchdown he had that I go, oh, I didn't know Nick Chubb could do that. And if you think about his ability as a receiver and to grow there, that that really helps his argument. And what do you think about Kareem Hunt? Do you think that this is just a one-year thing? Do you think that he's going to stay out of trouble and come into the league? I like Nick Chubb a lot. I think Nick Chubb is a very good player. I think that he's one of the best running backs in the league. But there are some there are some mitigating circumstances there that at least have to raise some questions for you about what we're going to see moving forward, I think. You know Nick Chubb had 18 receptions in his freshman year? Yeah. 18 receptions that season— he had over 1,750 all-purpose yards. He's very good. As a true freshman at Georgia, for his first two seasons, his yards per carry was well above seven. Think about that. I'm with Ray on this. I think 
for me too, when you look at when you look at where we rank him in dynasty, I think he's right there in that Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook argument. If you want to slot him in front of those two, if you're a fan of Joe Mixon, like it sounds like Ray is, if Dalvin Cook is healthy, we're not going to bet on injury. Dalvin Cook has a feature skill set. He might have more opportunity in the passing game in that offense. So I can see people mixing and matching here. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue him at five, though, but I think that there's two other guys that you could at least put in that conversation. I like having pieces of the best offenses, especially the best run-blocking offensive lines, when we're ranking running backs. And that's Alvin Kamara. That's Ezekiel Elliott. That's Nick Chubb. Yes, Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon have more robust skill sets, but Nick Chubb still is one of these super high pedigree running backs who would have been the best talent in his draft class had he not shared a draft class with Saquon Barkley. I was having a conversation on another podcast about that draft class. And I was talking about Rashad Penny and I was talking about everything. I go, and I think I had, I think I might've had Penny number one and someone said Saquon Barkley. And I was like, Oh yeah, I didn't consider him last year because what you did is you put Saquon Barkley number one, you forgot about it, and then you moved on with the rest of the class. So we That's could right, just... yeah. It wasn't even a question. <laughs> so... But then there were so many choices between Darius guys yeah. and Nick Chubb. It was a wonderful class. And I want to make one thing clear. I'm not a Joe Mixon fan. I don't want that to be out there. But from a fantasy perspective, I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm higher on Joe Mixon. I'm a fan of any running back who can be that productive on that team. Let's just, I don't know. I don't need it out there that I'm a fan of Joe Mixon. Uh, that's uh, we can keep. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to associate you morally. If that's a concern, <laughs> I just, you know, you got to be careful. You got to be careful in these days. Uh, I do do Browns. The Browns are interesting offense to me because it is certainly there. Baker Mayfield is amazing. And I, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. They, he was, is amazing. The talent they have around him, we're talking about Odell, we're talking about Jarvis Landry, even Rashad Higgins, Antonio Callaway, if he can stay out of trouble, David Njoku, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, once he once he comes back. The talent's amazing. You mentioned the line. The line certainly has really good pieces on it, but it has two massive holes, two massive areas of concern. And so I don't actually know how – at uh, right guard and at left tackle – I don't actually know how good their line is. I I am of the opinion that... It's going to be worse this year. My buddy called me. He's in Vegas. He wanted to take the over nine and a half games for the Browns this year. And I said, the only thing you got to be careful about is this offensive line. If the offensive line takes a step back, Baker Mayfield could struggle more than anyone thinks. And some of those wide running lanes that Nick Chubb enjoyed last year with Kevin Zeitler aren't going to be there. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a concern. The other concern is that if you look at what this team was after Baker took over, and it could have been they have a rookie quarterback taking over and they didn't have it, but the pace that they played with last year was slow. It was it was definitely slower than average when Baker was playing. And so is that going to change now that Baker takes over? I don't think we can know. We just we don't know what Freddie Kitchens wants to be. We haven't seen it before. We don't know what what the pace is going to be. But that's certainly an area of concern as well when you talk about when you talk about all the mouse they have to feed. One who is who's going to be left out? Hopefully, the answer to that question is Jarvis Landry, but. You talking about you're talking about if that's a slow pace, 
if we have all of these players, there, that could lead to some that could lead to some of those kind of elite players maybe maybe not being able to reach their value. I still think Darius Geis is elite, and I think this is the time to get him the moments before he's cleared for contact. If you can trade for a player the day before he's cleared for contact, I mean, that's a win, right? That's why he's my number one dynasty running back target. Who's yours? I, I'm with you on Geis for sure, and I think that that's, yeah. that's true in redraft as well. I still think that he is valued very nicely in redraft as well. Oh, his ADP is collapsing in seasonal leagues. And so I, yeah, I'm I'm in on that one. I think I think all of us here are team Ronald Jones is not good, right? Oh, um, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I, I I thought I'd find friends here, but I mean, <laughs> at at a Nick Whalen is not in this house. <laughs> if you're just talking about depressed cost, he's he's certainly he's certainly on that list as well. Mine is actually one that's probably off the board for everybody, and it's Devonta Freeman who. Hmm is 27 so he's certainly getting up there in running back age he has his injury concerns i understand that but his i think the perception of who he is as a running back and what he has left has been damaged by really one year of bad injuries now you look at this situation this is still going to be a good offense he has instead of tevin coleman behind him he has ito smith and brian hill behind him and we're not that far removed from him being a a solid running back one, and I know he's disappointed two years in a row now. I think people are sleeping on on Devontae Freeman in redraft, and I also think in dynasty leagues he is being he is being undervalued. And I'm happy to have him. I think I have him on I mean 60, 70 percent of my teams, and I think that we're going to get back to at least for the next couple of years seeing Freeman back in that 250 and higher touch range on that offense with the goal line touches he's going to get. I think that Freeman is really going to surprise people. Yeah, you care about the near term more than the long term in Dynasty. I do. I very much do. Near term, the number three running back on Tampa is Dare Agun Boale. <laughs> I was going to let you do that. That's a fun name to say. And there's a chance he's not bad. And this is why Player Profiler exists. You can type in O-G-U-N-B-O-W-A-L-E. And you can see that he has size, that he has some burst and agility. He's just not very fast. And he wasn't overly productive at the college level because he was sharing a field with other competent running backs at Wisconsin. But he did command a 12% target share at the college level. So he looks like the satellite back in Tampa. Even if Peyton Barber is the starter, Ronald Jones is not going to be in there in passing down situations. It's going to be Dare Agun Boale. And it's funny you mentioned him at Wisconsin because the only, when I saw his name start popping up, I go, oh, that's the other guy from Wisconsin. Because he was the other guy for Melvin Gordon, right? And then he was the other guy for Corey Clement, if I'm remembering correctly when what was going on there. That's right. Unfortunately, he could not supplant Corey Clement, which is a bad sign. That is a red flag on his profile. Couldn't supplant Corey Clement. In fact, Corey Clement had 300 carries while sharing a field with Agun Boale. It's the it's the Wendell Smallwood corollary is what we're... <laughs> so I don't understand what the hell was going on there, why he couldn't command more touches, but that's just what happened. I still like him, though. If he's going to be the satellite back on a team that throws the ball more than any other in the NFL, 
He has to be interesting. He has to be on your radar. He's someone you stash in PPR leagues because most dynasty leagues are 10 slots deeper than traditional seasonal leagues. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that I think that this spot is funny because nobody has any confidence in the top two players on the roster. And so they've That's been... That's what I'm saying. They, so we've been trying to make the third spot a thing in fantasy all offseason, and it kind of started with Andre Ellington. Then it really heated up with Bruce Anderson. Do you remember the Bruce Anderson month? I remember Bruce Anderson, but Agun Boale has been outproducing him. But that's no. But that's my point, is that we, we keep trying to chase it, and I think that you should keep chasing it, because especially in Dynasty, you need to be churning the bottom of that roster, and he is he's certainly someone who's interesting. But Agun Boale is definitely interesting. When I watch the progression, I have to laugh between I, I, I'm trying to think about who they're going to pick up and who's going to be. Are we going to get uh, are we going to get a leans Darkwa? Is that going to be who we're talking about as the third running back? And in- you know, who they could really use Ray. They could really use Jeremy McNichols at this point. Yeah, Give it to me. Oh, give me that go. sweet stuff. Here we go. Imagine if they had Jeremy McNichols. It's oh. too bad. They never had an opportunity to get Jeremy McNichols touches. Oh, wait. They drafted him! <laughs> what are you doing, Tampa? What are you doing? Giving that GM three-year extension is what they're doing. And then they gave the general manager, Jason Licht. Is it Light or Licht? It's Light. He's another one that's lying. All these last name liars. <laughs> it's Light, but it looks like Licht to me. But I'm also incredibly bad at pronouncing names, as you've already heard. They should have held on to Jeremy McNichols. He'd be the best running back on the roster oh, if they had God. held on to him. He looks great on Tennessee. Don't do this. Don't do this. That's partly because Tennessee has one of the best run-blocking offensive lines this season after the acquisition of Roger Saffold. It's one of the reasons I like Derrick Henry heading into 2019. But should we be stashing at Jeremy McNichols, Ray? <laughs> no. We should. I... <laughs> Nate, you agree with this? You agree? When you're done, Ray, I'm coming off the top rope, so go should ahead. Be... Ray said no, man. Should we be stashing David Fluellen? Is that what we should be doing? There you go. No, I like McNichols, man. I had given up on McNichols after he was cut from the Colts, the third team to cut him. But now that he's back making plays in preseason for Tennessee, a team with a great run-blocking unit, my Jeremy McNichols truther card has been reinstated. All right, I will get in on this one. So, uh, do you know, just off the top of my head, I just just a quiz for you. You quizzed me on a state capital that I got wrong earlier. Do you know how many teams Jeremy McNichols has played for since being drafted in 2017? Four. Five. He's been on five <laughs> NFL rosters. What's the fifth team? Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Denver, and Tennessee. He was on Denver? <laughs> yeah, for about five minutes. Look, I think we can all agree that we like Alex Barnes better. Wait, they preferred Devontae Booker to Jeremy McNichols? Shame on you, Denver. It's why John Elway's the most overrated general manager in the league. He also cut Jeremy McNichols. Him and Jason Lichlight. <laughs> I, think, I think the hope is that McNichols got a summer tutor to work on those vectors he was struggling with prior to this. He's not going to last. That's the problem. But you got Derrick Henry. You have Deion Lewis, who's a competent runner when he's given his opportunity. And I actually like Alex Barnes. I know you like Alex Barnes as well. And so that's that's a guy that should be well ahead of Jeremy McNichols, a player who's probably going to be on his sixth NFL team in two seasons here pretty soon. 
They're saying that Alex Barnes is scheduled to be cut. Never. No way. That's what the beat reporters are saying, that it's Jeremy McNichols' job, man. I just I, I don't I don't buy it. I mean, Jeremy McNichols has done nothing since coming to the NFL other than get cut from every organization he's ever played for. There was uh, rumors about his inability to learn the playbook. They said that he was divisive and difficult to work with. I mean, there there's things swirling around him. I've never heard anything good about McNichols other than the time that we interviewed him. So I probably shouldn't be crapping on him completely <laughs> because he's one of two NFL players to ever come on the show and arguably the best interview that we've had of the two. Every NFL prospect we get is projected to go on day two and falls to the fifth round. <laughs> or later. That happens every time we interview someone on this show. Just so you know, Ray, on that show where we interviewed Jeremy McNichols, I asked him why his vision is so bad on the second level. <laughs> and then he takes direct vectors at opposing defenders in the secondary i asked him why he does that he said this to him and what did they say what did he say i asked him that question to his face he agreed with it he's like yeah i don't really know yeah he's like yeah i gotta get better at that (laughs) that wasn't a red flag for you i was like that's instinctual dude you're not gonna get better at that my god maybe he can bring in bishop sankey to work on work on his footwork there you go you know what will help him though a healthy jack conklin hasn't been healthy since he was hurt yeah against the patriots in the playoffs in 2017 and Roger Saffold and Taylor Lewin when he's reinstated I'm excited to see this offensive line work with Derrick Henry in the backfield you a Derrick Henry fan I think that Derrick Henry if he has the line in front of him you have to I'm a fan I mean I don't think that he's he's not a running back that I would say I'm going to put in any situation it's going to work out but he's a running back that in the right situation I think he can be well, we saw it at the end of last year. He can be incredibly dangerous. If he has a good quarterback like Ryan Tannehill behind him or in front of him, he's going to be just fine. Oh, my God. I don't actually think Ryan Tannehill's good. I want to make sure that that the was The Marcus clear. Mariota shade is never-ending. But I think that, I think that yeah, in this situation, he'd be good. And you mentioned it, this offensive line, and, I mean, they still have issues. I mean, you mentioned Lawan. Is we, we're hoping that Conklin's going to come back. We don't really know what's going on at right guard. But... I kind of view offensive line in like three buckets. You have really good, really bad, and then like the other 24 teams in the league. And so the question is, are the Titans going to be not in that just kind of middle bucket and then the really good bucket? And they certainly have a chance to be. And if that's the case. They've been underachieving for years. This is the year, man. This is the year. And like you said, if that's the case, that that's great news for Henry because we know if you get him to the second level, it's danger zone. That's what it is. Yeah, he's the opposite of Jeremy McNichols. And with Derrick Henry, it doesn't even matter if he runs straight at opposing defenders in the second level. He just runs them over. Now, in terms of philosophy, do you build around a cornerstone running back or wide receiver in Dynasty? Well, this is going to go counter to everything we've talked about with me being a short-term player in, uh, in Dynasty. But I do think that there is evidence, long ev- long-standing evidence, that wide receivers are more predictable uh, in the long term and that wide receivers have a longer shelf life and a longer peak than running backs do. And because of that, I, I do tend to lean towards wide receivers, even though I think specifically we we are going to struggle to predict wide receivers two and three years in the future on a specific level. In general terms, we know that we know that wide receivers are going to give you give you a better long-term return than running backs. And so I tend to do that. But I do think that 
older running backs, when people are starting to get convinced that the running back's not going to be good anymore, that is a really good buy opportunity. And you can go in and you can go in and kind of fill your roster, especially if it's has Super Bowl aspirations with these older running backs like a Devontae Freeman. And you can really you can really build a roster well that way. I disagree. Um, I like to build around cornerstone running backs. This is really interesting looking at what we've talked about already. Sorry, but this is really fascinating to me. Two reasons. The new NFL puts a premium on running back production because it's harder to find. It's a lot easier to find wide receivers on the waiver wire, even in deep dynasty leagues, because the NFL is spreading the ball out more. More three receiver sets, 11 personnel. More wide receivers are relevant than ever before. And running back fantasy points have been diminishing the last 10 years. There's not a direct line, a linear relationship year to year, but gradually over time, running back fantasy points per game have declined. And young running backs accrue value year to year better than young wide receivers. So my instinct is to draft a young stud running back in the first round, whether it be McCaffrey, whether it be Cook, whether it be Camara, whether it be Chubb, and build around that guy. And often, double up and just come right back at running back in the next round because you can get a Dalvin Cook in the second round of a dynasty draft. And then you fill the back of your roster with depth wide receivers and you can piece together a productive wide receiver core in a way that you can't in dynasty at the running back position because you can't play zero RB in dynasty. A lot of these quality backup running backs are rostered. So the calculus is different in dynasty versus seasonal leagues. And when you draft running backs in the rookie draft, they're much more likely to accrue value year to year. Most of the time you have to sit on a wide receiver for at least a year before he starts to accrue value. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point you're making that I hadn't every year running backs are top the rookie drafts. It seems like every year. Well, next year will be a really fun case study in how we actually value these positions. I'm going to devote shows to it next year, insisting that Dynasty Leaguers go running back in the first round because you really can't lose next year. The 2020 class is so stacked with talent at both running back and wide receiver. You just can't lose. But I will insist that those that want to win draft running back. Well, what I'll say to that is that that's a very, I think, short-term approach, and I get it because I am a bit of a short-term player. I guess when I think about what I build my teams around, though, I'm not even really thinking about the rookie draft. I'm thinking about, over the long term, who is on my team, right? And over the long term, DeAndre Hopkins is the one who sticks on my team, and the running backs that I've drafted highly, they come and they go. And so... But the way you put that, I think that I agree with you. I think that I guess I do build it with running backs because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about you, you've given me a crisis of confidence. Give me a second to think this out while speaking. But when I when I go back to my rankings over the last three, four years, it is running back heavy. And we have had an influx of a lot of really good running backs, but it has been running back heavy. The top my top three picks this year would have been running backs and maybe my top four at this point if I was doing rookie drafts now. You go back the year before, then it was all running back heavy. So, yeah, it's a really fascinating idea. I do guess I value rookie running backs more than I value rookie wide receivers, at least in the early rounds. But it's interesting because what happens is it seems in year four and five, 
the wide receivers are the ones who remain and persist. That's right. And those running backs tend to fall off. And so it's a kind of an interesting idea is that my best players are wide receivers, but the players I'm drafting in the first round are running backs. It's a really interesting kind of kind of situation there. I'm more likely to draft a running back, but I'm more likely to trade for a wide receiver. Wide receiver is more difficult to project and forecast in a rookie draft when they're young than the running backs. Running back is drafted early. You know what you're getting. I know there's a Ronald Jones in every draft class. Rashad Penny. You know that Karrion Johnson is going to get touches. He has an all-purpose skill set. And then sure enough, boom, he doubles in value as the season progresses. And that doesn't happen with the wide receivers in that same draft class. What I prefer to do is wait to see which wide receivers are for real and then wait even longer for a buying opportunity on those wide receivers, like with Allen Robinson. Yeah. We've had a handful of buy windows for Allen Robinson the last couple of years, and this is my favorite buy window of all. Right now, after he disappointed in his first season back after a torn ACL, this is the time to get him. Because he's still 26 years old, he's reestablished himself as the undisputed alpha in that passing game. He has clear rapport with Blake Bortles and, sorry, excuse me, Mitchell Trubisky. Common mistake. <laughs> Freudian slip. And he's on schedule to have the second best season of his career because it's impossible to top 1,400 yards and double-digit touchdowns with the real Blake Bortles. I mean, that was one of the greatest seasons of all time, but he's clearly headed for a season where he exceeds all expectations. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm on the Allen Robinson train both for this year and for Dynasty. Are you? Yeah. I, I think that Allen Robinson is undervalued in redraft. I have him on a lot of rosters. I already had him on so many Dynasty rosters that I'm not going to go get him in anymore because that would be overkill. But I, I, I'm on this trend of him. I think that Mitchell Trubisky... Uh, Mitchell Bortles. We call him Mitchell Bortles. I think that <laughs> let's get Allen Robinson to quarterback. One of these days. One of these days. He's going to be 36 and like Larry Fitzgerald finally get a quarterback. But the Larry Fitzgerald who we've discovered is 42. That's right. Larry Fitzgerald finally has a quarterback after all these years. <laughs> so, so I think that I think that, you know, there's something there for sure. And if I'm looking at someone that I'm targeting, I kind of went the other way. I think that this is a good DJ Chark buying opportunity. What? I do. Wow, you're in. I'm in. What about DJ Chark and Stills' confidence? I think that when he was given opportunities last year, I, I really liked what I saw. And he's not the kind of player that I really like. I'm having to change my view on those types of players because of Will Fuller, namely. But I, he's not a player that I that I would gravitate towards. But I really liked what I saw last year in a really bad situation. He's cheap. The opportunity is there in this in this wide receiver core and the quarterback upgrade. And that's true. It's a major quarterback upgrade. I think that DJ Chark is in a position to to get a lot of opportunity and we'll see what he's able to do with it. But I'm willing to pay the low price to go and get him to kind of see what happens. Nate, what do you think about DJ Chark? Boy, uh, that was a name that I did not expect to hear amongst this list. I had a name, but it was nowhere near this. This is as low down on the ladder rungs as you can possibly get. I mean, we've been talking about a potential Chris Conley 
you know, f- f- breakout, not a not a massive one, but he's finally going to come out of his shell and be relevant. We've talked about Keelan Cole. We've talked about Didi Westbrook, but all this time, DJ Chark has just been in the background. We haven't really talked about him at all, but this is a guy that had draft capital, believe it or not, for people that are running the player profile or to type his name in because they don't know who he is. This is a guy who did go in the second round, and he does have good athleticism. Um you could do worse as a flyer. I, I guess I'm with Ray in the sense that he doesn't cost you anything. There's not a lot of real competition there. I think we all like Didi Westbrook. I think we believe Keelan Cole has a skill set that's not being respected enough, and we believe he could be a playmaker again uh, like he was a year prior versus Didi Westbrook. But uh, there is something here with DJ. I don't own him anywhere, but at his price tag, it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't hurt you to go take a flyer on him. Yeah, the ultimate discount Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They have a lot of similarities, those two wide receivers. They both run sub-4 440s with height. So they have some size and certainly some speed and mega explosiveness. DJ Chark, 132.5, 93rd percentile burst score. And look at that college yards per reception when he was targeted. It wasn't frequently at LSU when he was targeted. 22 yards per reception. <laughs> The Darius Slayton of our time. But he's converting that athleticism into on-field production. You would expect a wide receiver with that kind of explosiveness to be that kind of downfield weapon, and he was. Unlike a Kevin White, who was super explosive in the workouts, and then his yards per reception was below average, right? The Zay Jones corollary. DJ Chark actually delivered the downfield splash plays to pair with that athleticism. So in that way, I like him. I just wish he was more productive in college. That's all. So, and and the other thing I'll say about this is you mentioned all the names in Jacksonville. That's actually one of the reasons why, from a redraft perspective, I'm wary of D.D. Westbrook because there just are that many people in Jacksonville that you could see establishing themselves. I'm not going to go out on the Chris Connolly limb with anybody, but I, I think that I think that they view him more as what Dante Moncrief did last year, being the big guy who could block a little bit, but we'll see what happens. But I, there are there are a lot of names in there that we don't really know what's going to come out of this situation. And so if you're going to take a shot, you take it on an athletic guy with a really interesting profile who is certainly in that mix and just see what happens. And that's kind of my view on chart. How do you feel about Jacoby Myers? Because he's been outplaying Nikhil Harry in preseason and training camp. Now Josh Gordon's reinstated. What the fuck do we do with Nikhil Harry now? I don't know. Like, is that a fair answer? I don't know what to do with him. We've moved him down a little bit, but can't move him down a lot. He's one of the better wide receiver prospects to come along. See, and that's the thing. I didn't particularly like him as a wide receiver prospect. But what happens whenever a team comes up and drafts somebody, especially in, as we talked about earlier... In, in a wide receiver landscape that was as ridiculously wide open as the wide receiver landscape was at the rookie for rookies this year, when someone is drafted in the first round, which I think was a bit of a surprise that Harry went in the first round, when someone's drafted into the first round, you have to go, oh, this is how the NFL values him. I need to think about him differently. But now you're right. What is the value when you thought about Nikhil Harry? You're thinking – a, if you thought he was a good player, which I, I certainly thought he was a good player. I, I don't know if he's a great player, but that's, you know, we'll see. Best comparable to Allen Robinson. You like Allen Robinson. Yeah, but I mean, my Penn State love plays into that role as well. Oh, my God. I know. It's terrible. Hey, I'm, I can be a homer now. I'm an amateur. Who cares? Welcome home. I know. It's fun. 
You get it, Nate? You get it? Oh, I get it. What One of the things you liked about Harry was you liked that you thought he was stepping into immediate role. It doesn't seem like that's the case. I know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Josh Gordon. Can you trust that Josh Gordon's going to be in the team in October? I don't think you can't. So it's it's a really interesting situation. And the, my answer is I don't know what you do with him. It's a tough. It's a tough place. Now he's dealing with turf toe. So we have Paris Campbell with a severe hamstring injury. Nikhil Harry with turf toe. DK Metcalf is having knee surgery. Marquise Brown is not a hundred percent. AJ Brown is dead apparently. Hakeem Bustler is out with a hand injury. Yeah. This wide receiver class is trending in the wrong direction. We had a couple seasons in a row, 2015, 2016, would be considered bust seasons for the wide receiver position. This is looking eerily similar. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sad. because like, And I could make arguments or counter-arguments for any of those players, and you thought what you thought was at least going to be great in this class, you didn't know if there was going to be a really great one. But you thought, oh, we're going to get a large influx of wide receiver two talent. And it doesn't seem like it's going to happen this year. There's always one guy in the second round that breaks out in his first year. And that's looking like Debo Samuel. After that, Debo. Debo's the answer. Miles Boykin, maybe? I'm in on that. The, the concern I have with Miles Boykin is this. I, I think that I think that he was the NFL missed the boat a little bit on him because every I don't know the tape people and the analytic people like that guy. And whenever that is the case, that is one of those things where I go, oh, we should probably like this guy. And the fact that he fell the way he did, and it wasn't that he fell a long way in the draft. It was that he fell behind a lot of receivers that I think were surprising that he fell behind them. But he also went to Baltimore, and this is the concern I have with Marquise Brown, who was my favorite receiver in the class, foot with foot injury notwithstanding. But what the concern you have is we're going to Baltimore we know that they're going to want Lamar Jackson to throw a little bit more, but what is this offense going to look like? Mark Andrews is there. Um, the the ghost of uh, Hayden Hurst is there. Who the fuck is Hayden Hurst? I know, I know. We, we've all forgotten about it already. I, you know what I did? Do you want me to tell you something stupid I did? Now that I can just say that I'm an idiot on and nobody may cares. I would love to hear this. I had Hayden Hurst ranked ahead of Dallas Goddard last year, and it's one of the stupidest things I've ever done. That was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was dumb. And I realized two months later that it was a mistake. Like, it wasn't even, like, I didn't even need hindsight. I went back and I didn't need a season. I went, oh, that was dumb. You have made a large mistake. We've all made them, Ray. What are you going to do? It, it happened. You'll come back from it. You look at Baltimore's situation, you go, how excited can I get about a wide receiver? And it's tough. It's really tough. Even if you think the wide receivers are good, which I think of Miles Boykin and Marquise Brown. What about Terry McLaurin? He's another option. Third round pick. Yep. Upper percentile athleticism across the board, 126.2, 95th percentile Spark X score. You wish he was more productive, but unlike Miles Boykin, he had a lot of target competition at Ohio State. And a lot of these guys coming out of Ohio State aren't polished on day one, but they're turning out to be Curtis Samuel. And if he can be anything like Curtis Samuel, that's a win. And so that's why I think that he is a name more for Dynasty, because I'm avoiding this passing game unless you're trying to sell me on Trey Quinn and PPR or something like that, or Jordan Reed, I can certainly buy some Jordan Reed. Oh, Jordan Reed all day, baby. Yeah, exactly. Especially at the price. But if you're trying to sell me in redraft on this passing game, I'm, I'm going to mostly pass on it. But in dynasty. Yeah, I had him, I had him higher than I think, than I think people did back in, back in May, because you look at draft capital, which I 
value reasonably high. I, I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but I value it reasonably high when I'm looking at when I'm looking at dynasty players. Early third round pick is early. It's it's that he's one of the players that I believe he went ahead of Boykin, right? That's right. He's one of the he's one of the players that I I remember thinking, oh, this guy's going ahead of Boykin. That is interesting. But so, yeah, so you move him up there. I mean, the receiver situation, they gave all that money to Paul Richardson. What are we going to get out of that? Not a lot. Rest in peace, Josh Doxson. Maybe one day he's going to find a situation which which actually fits him, and I'll keep him on my dynasty rosters until that happens, uh, which will mean I'll have him on my roster forever. But I think that, like, you look at the wide receiver situation, there's nothing there. There really isn't. And so if you have any... If you see any upside in this guy and you see any upside in Dwayne Haskins and you see any upside in the inevitable coaching change that they're going to make halfway through this year, then you then you start to get excited about him, especially when you look at what's happened ahead of him in this wide receiver class. Did Terry McLaurin deserve to get drafted in the early third round, Nate? Yeah, I think he did. I mean, I think that he's got the intangibles and he played at a school and, and, and came as a, you know, as a, a high star recruit to Ohio State. And we talk about teammate score. That's a big thing that using the breakout finder, that's something that really helps us identify who someone played with and puts a value to those people. I mean, we're talking about Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon entered this draft as well. KJ Hill, there's other guys, other names, but Ohio State had a lot of talent. So when we go back to like the Michael Thomas draft class, good Thomas, you know, bad Michael Thomas, good Michael <laughs> Thomas, whatever. We went back and looked at his production and we dismissed his production. Well, there was a reason for that. And, and we got to go back and look a little closer. I do enjoy watching some of the tape on these guys. I don't grind it as hard as some of the other guys in the industry, but we can glean information from this. And Terry McLaurin did deserve to go in the third round. I, I had him close to Boykin in that, in that same kind of cut of cloth, if you will. Boykin, you know, didn't have a ton of production either. Came from Notre Dame, had tough competition, um, but Terry McLaurin obviously has the athleticism, and this was a class that was highly athletic. So you get the pedigree, you get the athleticism, you look back at the production, you know, rationalize it away a little bit, and I can understand why he went in the third. Do you guys remember when we had Mike Thomas, Mike Thomas arguments? Do you remember how fun that was? Don't remind me. Do you remember Damian Williams, Damian Williams? We've had some clear winners in the name wars in the recent in recent years. Oh, Damian Williams, a clear winner. Unless you've been watching preseason, and if you watch too much preseason, you might think that Darwin Thompson's the clear winner. That Darwin Thompson's the back to own in Kansas City. That Darwin Thompson's the, the main guy. Everyone is moving Darwin Thompson up. Seasonal leagues, dynasty, the hype is real. I'm the one that's not buying. Should I be buying? This is what I'll say, is that I am a hype wholesaler. I sell all hype. Good. Especially undersized mountain whack committee backs that aren't particularly fast. Yeah, and you look at his profile and it's, um, let's say, not exciting to see a 198-pound player running a 4.6. But he hurdled a guy in preseason. I didn't see that. See, that's the thing. That's the thing, Ray. He hurdled a guy in preseason. If I watched preseason, I could have had this. I could have had all of this important information. And then Andy Reid loves him, loves his work ethic. And KC, with the 2020 class coming and the depth of that class, I mean, recently Kansas City has not shown an allegiance to any running back. I mean, dating back to basically Jamal Charles. I mean, Sharkandrick West, undrafted free agent, replaced. Spencer Ware, late round pick, replaced. Damian Williams, undrafted free agent, apparently getting leapfrogged by Darwin Thompson, who's a late round pick. I, I mean, if Kareem Hunt's career didn't go the direction it did, 
I'm convinced he would not have followed this trend. I think he would have been the guy in KC and this would have continued. But there is no allegiance to these backs in Kansas City. And I feel like with this upcoming draft class, they seem like an absolute landing destination for, you know, a day two running back that's going to usurp whoever is still left over. That's one of the best points Nate's made in show history. I'm gone, guys. Later. <laughs> yeah, Nate, you're dismissed. That was excellent. But like, that's really the point I want to make about Kansas City is even if you don't believe in Darwin Thompson, you have to look at the depth chart ahead of him and say that he's behind a 27-year-old with 733 career rushing yards. Hashtag perspective. Sure. And Carlos <laughs> Hyde, Carlos Hyde, if he even is still behind Carlos Hyde. So, like... At some point, opportunity matters, and I'm trying to not go too far down the opportunity path because that, if, at the end of that path is Peyton Barber. And so any path that leads to Peyton Barber is one that you need to tread lightly. But I think that, I think that from an opportunity perspective, you have to at least accept the possibility that Darwin Thompson steps into a bigger role than we want, even if you don't think that he's a very good player. He could have a Zach Stacy situation, and then we kind of have to take him seriously. Have you guys noticed how impossible it is to find a good movie to rent across all these streaming services? Are you like me? Have you spent half an hour looking for a movie to rent and then just giving up and then renting a movie that you've already seen? Or watching Parks and Rec for the thousandth time? Yes, yeah, so you're like me. You do that, right? Yeah, exactly. You know the movie I rewatched earlier this week? Which one? It's called Fury. That's a good one. It's fucking great. Shia LaBeouf in a non-crazy role? What? Like, it was weird? He was good in it. He is good. He was just understated and good. I couldn't believe it. And Brad Pitt loves being in those tanks, man. He's more method than I ever gave him credit for. Just a great part for him. Great execution. His whole late career has been talking in that voice it being military or military adjacent. That is late career Brad Pitt. We'll have to see what happens with that Astra. But late career Brad Pitt, that's where he is. We ain't never run before, I ain't running now. What's that? We're gonna fight it out. We can't. I'm gonna hold this crossroad. What you mean you're gonna hold this? The tank's busted. The tank's fucking Thanks. busted, Top. Yeah, you said that. Top, what are you doing? What do you want to do? You want to sit here? We're gonna hold this crossroad. You cross want to sit here, hold off of SS Battalion? No, it's not what I want to do, but it's what we're doing. There's five of us. Get your fighting position. Mount up. Fucking fighting position when we ain't got a tank. How are we gonna fight? We got a cannon. No, that don't make Top, sense. Don't Stop. When they found a way to end around that tiger tank to bring this back to football, end around, it's a type of reverse. No, we got make, it. Are you going to make an Emmanuel Sanders reference now? Is that what we're getting at? The end around in the tiger tank was just incredible. And that was Shia LaBeouf. He was the hero in that scene. I've always wondered what it was like to actually invade a country. We didn't invade Japan. We got on the outskirts Okinawa, but we didn't actually invade in Germany, we invaded the country, and Berlin is on the other side of the country. So we had a long road to get to Berlin, and I'd never thought exactly about what the mechanics of getting to Berlin looked like until that movie came out, and I was blown away. You never watch Band of Brothers? I always get Band of Brothers confused with Saving Private Ryan, and Saving Private Ryan took place in France. Do you know a movie I literally just watched last night? Tell me. Rush Hour original rush hour and i tell you what it stands up it's great nate loves rush hour a oh, big fan <laughs> anything with chris tucker except fifth element was he in fifth element yes chris tucker was in fifth element was he in fifth element great poll nate what even question is that 
Oh, man, I'm sorry. Chris Tucker, one of the great meteorite actors, just streaking across the sky and then just burned up in the atmosphere. That, that's not true. He had a new stand-up special just come out. He's We're, we're in the Chris tucker Sons. Wait, he's back? Oh, a Chris tucker Sons. This is why I ask these he's questions on the show, so we can find this out. Now I can go watch Chris Tucker on Netflix. Hold on, Nate. It- are you telling me you don't like Fifth Element? Uh, I don't know. I think Fifth Element is is fine because I'm into these. I don't know these futuristic weird. I I don't. It was it was fine. It was fine. That's what it's that's what I'll say. Highly underrated movie. In fact, in fact, Luc Besson has been making terrible movies ever since that one. But I just let it slide because he made The Professional and he made The Fifth Element. And that's if you do that in your career, then I'm perfectly happy with you. So are you saying I need to go back and give it one more chance? I'm telling you that that movie is amazing. Ray, I trust your instincts on movies now. Better futuristic dystopia, Fifth Element, yeah, or Gattaca. So I'm going to tell you that my answer is going to be Fifth Element because I've, I think I've seen Gattaca once, and so I don't feel like I can be. I don't feel like I can give you a real answer. The swimming scene in Gattaca is just incredible. And there's that weird thing going on, uh, because if I'm thinking of the right movie, that's the one with Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, right? That's right. And so that's that weird, they have that weird interaction going on that led to a really great character in Stranger Things, if we're being honest here. So the uh, the, the Hawke Thurman uh, child was in Stranger Things. Oh, get out, really? Yeah, she was uh, Robin in Stranger Things. Their daughter? Wow, I didn't know that either. That's her daughter, and she also is in the new Tarantino movie. This guy's a movie guy over here, man. This guy knows his show business. I will talk about movies all day. Can I throw Elysium into the hat? I like Elysium. I've only seen it once again, but I liked it when I I was like, it's one of those that you put on on a plane and you go, well, I'll just watch this. It's probably terrible. And then you go, oh, (laughs) this looks good. I like this movie. That's exactly it. Ethan Hawke is underrated. Yeah. He's he's a he's a good actor. Here's here's one. Here's one that I don't think people talk about as much as they should if we're going dystopic future. Children of Men oh, is exceptional. Yes. That is such a good movie. That is just a great movie. When they're driving down the road and the, and the rock lands on the car, that is one of the great visceral experiences in cinema that I've ever had. Like I jumped out of my chair when that happened. It is great and it's a Corone film. So like this is Clive Owens in that movie. Uh, Edgy Afor, Chitwell Edgy Afor, Julianne Moore, Charlie Hunnam. Like, that is a cast that's in that movie. It is filled with tension. It's tension between the characters and it's tension between the characters and the outside world. Oh, that movie is great. James Conner also looks great. <laughs> what, a, what a segue. I thought we were about to talk about Dark on Netflix. All right, we can go on to James uh, Conner. 14 of 14 snaps with Ben Roethlisberger in week two of preseason. Jalen Samuels, nowhere to be found. Time to move James Conner up in Dynasty? <gasps> yeah, I mean, well, it depends, I guess, where you had him. I was very low on James Conner in both redraft and Dynasty because I was worried about Jalen Samuels. And this is one of those things that I do take out of preseason. I don't watch the games, but I'm reading the recaps and I'm looking at first-team snaps. First-team snaps, first-team snaps, first-team snaps. And so this is something I, I certainly have to rethink where I am on James Conner. I was very worried about Jalen Samuels. I drafted Jalen Samuels late in a lot of in a lot of best ball leagues just to you know see what happens. But I I I might have overestimated what we're going to see from Samuels in this role 
you know, based on what we saw at the end of last year, once Connor came back for that one game in week 17, based on what we, you know, heard talked about in the off season. And so I'm, I'm really quickly rethinking my Connor position for sure. Here's one James Connor or Marlon Mack. This one should be easy. James Connor, because he can catch passes and I don't know how much he's going to do it, but he catches them occasionally. And that's just not going to happen with Marlon Mack. See, this is the problem, Ray, is that you're falling behind. Your finger is no longer on the pulse of NFL trends. And Marlon Mack is hogging all the snaps with the first-team offense. And he started running a lot more routes going all the way back to the second half of last season. The route running was trending up, and it's been carrying over into preseason. He looks like a proper bell cow who's going to be active in all phases. He's been in the game on third down with the first unit in preseason, not Naheem Hines. Get ready for all-purpose Marlon Mack to return. Because we saw him at South Florida. (laughs) Tell me more about Jordan Howard has improved his hands. Tell me more (laughs) about that storyline. Okay, that's a little different because we've never seen Jordan (laughs) Howard catch passes adequately we have seen all-purpose Marlon Mack once upon a time. Can we just actually see it from Marlon Mack? I have Mack just ahead of Connor just based on the fact that Mack's a year younger. And the Indianapolis offense could be even better than the Steelers, certainly a better run-blocking offensive line. You got James Connor in 13 games last year at 215 carries. So that 16.5 carries a game. targets a game. He was over 22 touches a game last year. I don't think Marlon Mack's going to come close to that level of touches in an offense like this. I mean, we both agree that the Colts are a great offense. Andrew Luck is going to deal out there week after week, but we've seen it from Connor. And one year in age, to me, doesn't necessarily negate what what we've seen from Connor. And he's done everything. He's been a feature skill set. And if he had gotten those three games last year in 2018, his fantasy points per game you know, and his total points probably would have been even higher. I mean, he would have gotten used even more. It's the tiebreaker. It's just the tiebreaker. They're very close. That's why I asked the question. They're very similar players. I mean, do you see Marlon Mack having 70 targets? And then yes. again, this is 70 targets in 13 games. I see James Conner having a few less targets per game, and I see Mack having more targets per game. That's why they have very similar lifetime values. They're similar players on similar offenses. There's not a lot distinguishing them, which is why I asked the question. I'm all about tough questions on the show. You know that, Nate. You've yet to answer one correctly in three years. I'm really interested in the offensive line aspect of this. I think I agree with you, but when you said it, it kind of took me back because the Steelers have had that offensive line, which is still mostly intact. Their offensive line has been slowly deteriorating where Indianapolis's offensive line has really coalesced. Now they have the anchor left guard and Quentin Nelson. Like, it's on. It's on for the Indianapolis offensive line. No, I think you're right. It was just one of those that hit me, and I went, oh, yeah, that's probably right. But I don't know if it's that much of a difference now. It'll certainly be that much of a difference in a year because the Steelers line is old. They're already having to start replacing uh, parts of it. You know, Matt Feeler's going to come in there. Feeler, Filer, I don't know. So he's going to he's going to come in there. So yeah, that's an interesting the 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 ascension of the Colts line is really one of the more interesting stories that we have seen 
from a young GM or a new GM and like Chris Ballard to see this line become what it's become and what they were able to do for Andrew Luck last year and what's allowed this offense to become is really it's one of the more interesting and I don't know if talked about enough kind of storylines around around that team I, I'm well around the team yes but around the NFL I, I think that that's it's a really a blueprint for how you're going to build an offense is what they've done and how important the offensive line is and maybe how replaceable not just running backs are but especially at the lower end wide receivers are but that's just one of my working theories so we'll 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 move on it's why we do the show ray it's why we do the show yeah now we talked about jimmy garoppolo he has no time to throw san francisco has one of the worst offensive lines in the sport and yet tevin coleman is rising this doesn't make sense because tevin coleman needs runway to thrive he's not elusive which is why i think matt Breida is a better fit for that offense because there won't be the wide running lanes that Tevin Coleman needs. Do you agree? No, but I don't. I don't think I agree. I don't disagree with your your assessment of the situation. Really, I am not a giant Tevin Coleman fan by any means, and, and never have been. So just agree then. I I but I'm still too caught up on opportunity, and I really I just think that this is going to be the Tevin Coleman show. Okay. He has the history with Kyle Shanahan. He he has shown well in this offense before, and I and I will say that the situation is a little bit different. It's not Matt Ryan. It's not the same offensive line. So I agree with you on all those sentiments. I also like Tevin Coleman in the passing game. I think they're going to be comfortable using him in the passing game. We saw that was one of the big things during that Kyle Shanahan year in Atlanta. That was one of the big things they do. I mean, you have to go back to that game against Denver where Tevin Coleman went for what was it, like 130 yards and two touchdowns, and they just kind of unlocked his ability as a receiver after he dropped more passes than he caught as a rookie, if I'm remembering correctly. Just went right back to him. Yeah, like, and so I, I that's why I would stick with Coleman, but your kind of view of the situation, I, I think I agree with it. I just, I think this is still going to be the Tevin Coleman experiment, at least early in the season. 2017 with Kyle Shanahan, Carlos Hyde, finished top five in the NFL in running back targets. That fucking happened. Carlos Hyde. That happened. That happened. I wish I could remember the stat off the top of my head, but Kyle Shanahan, I have it written down somewhere, but I don't remember off the top of my head, but if you look at Kyle Shanahan running back target finishes, it's been like second, first, and then there's like a seventh in there, and then there's like another second and a first. He targets running backs. That's what he does. He likes to call screenplays, and God bless him. I love screenplays. They're great for fantasy football. And that's where I trust Coleman to continue to get those touches, and that's why I would say Coleman. It's like a run play with PPR points. It's great. Hear me out on this. In 2018, Tevin Coleman had one of the league's worst run blocking lines in the league, ranked number 24 on Football Outsiders. Yet he finished better in juke rate, better in evaded tackles, and tied with Brita in breakaway runs. They're also 21 and 22 in total rushing yards. And this is all while Coleman, Coleman had the, the number 31 ranked O-line or run efficiency blocking or 24 overall on football outsiders. And Matt Brita had a top 10 offensive line in front of him. So again, Tevin Coleman was doing this with a significantly worse offensive line in front of him and still producing neck and neck with Matt Brita. So I don't know what we expect to change with them in the same backfield. Tevin Coleman's got the pop, and I'm, I'm with Ray. I think that they're going to err on the side of Tevin Coleman. I think he ends up leading this backfield. I like Matt Breida's skill set, 
but I don't see a reason necessarily to believe that in the same opportunity or in the same backfield that it's going to be a runaway job for Breida. The case against Breida is similar to the case against Philip Lindsay in that they got lucky with their run blocking last year. It just so happened that on the Philip Lindsay touches and the Matt Breida touches, what are below average offensive lines were very effective when those particular running backs were touching the ball. And so you can't expect that to repeat itself this season for either Philip Lindsay or Matt Breida. I just think that Matt Breida is more elusive. I think that Matt Breida is equally as explosive. He's just not as big, and it's closer than people think. That's all I'll say. Kenyon Drake. Mm. Is it close between him and Kalen Balaj? Not anymore, right? And I mean, it's not like this is a... So if you go before the injury, even... This was an open question, and Kalen Balaj was somebody I was drafting gleefully in best ball leagues in the 10th round and 9th round, even after we saw what happened at the start of training camp. And again, this wasn't one guy's playing better than another guy. This was this guy's getting first-team reps, which, that again, is the news that we're going to care about in the, in the preseason. So it was there. Now, Kenan Drake in a walking boot. We'll see what happens with that. The dreaded walking boot. I don't think Kalen Balaj is good like I really don't think he's very good but and this offense is terrible but at some point if he's the starting running back and you're getting him for the cost that you're getting him at now like yes let's go wheels up I'm out you're out I'm out I'm out on Dolphins running backs I just don't want to burn roster spots on Dolphins running backs no thank you so are, am I walking into the Peyton Barber trap again even though I promised myself that I would never do it yeah no thank you no thank you give me Tony Pollard Tony Pollard has an opportunity to be an RB1 in fantasy in week one. Give me that guy. I want that upside. I want the all-purpose skill set for a running back that we're pretty confident is good on a good offense, even if I can't guarantee opportunity. How are you not team Kalen Balaj? I expected to get pushback on saying that I don't think he's very good. Well, he wasn't good at Arizona State, Ray. I know uh, he wasn't good. Oh, God. Not only did he play all four years, which is a red flag for a running back, he wasn't the starter. What the fuck? If you can't translate your athletic gifts into on-field performance consistently, then I'm out on you, man. I'm out. Nate disagrees. No, I do disagree because that that whole offense, that, that thing as a whole with Manny Wilkins as quarterback, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good situation anyways. And when you go back, look, look at, Look at Alvin Kamara's production back in college. And I know that Alvin Kamara is an extreme oh outlier. God. And he's the reason that other running backs that didn't have high-end production. For all the kids out there, you're in the midst of a really bad take. Soak it in. Take notes if you have to. This is the perfect example of what not to do in fantasy football analysis. Go ahead, Nate. Okay, here we go. Here's the best part. I've had to listen to people tell me how Kenyon Drake is the better running back in this class and how... Oh, Kalen Balaj couldn't couldn't get around the guys that were. Kenya Drake wasn't a starter either at the college level. Neither one of them are any good. I don't want them on my teams. I can find better options for these roster spots than allowing Miami Dolphins to burn a hole in them. I think you're ignoring his skill set. Again, we've gone through this before. Matt, look, you got you've got hits on your track record and you've got some misses. This one could end up being a miss. 
purely by just ignoring the fact that he's got athleticism, feature size. He's got 44 catches in a season on his track record. We're talking about Tony Pollard suddenly, a guy who's got way less college production than Kalen Balazs. I'm confused. I guess I don't understand what's going on anymore. No, Tony Pollard had an exceptional reception season on his resume, just like Kalen Balazs, and he was playing behind a far superior running back at the college level, Darrell Henderson. Do we know that? You know that, that Henderson was a superior? I mean, do we know that Henderson is is going to be a hit? Not superior to Pollard, superior to whoever Kalen Balazs was sharing a field with at Arizona State. Damian Hilliard? Was that who How it was? Who was Kalen Balazs losing touches to at Arizona State? What was his name, Nate? Demario Richard. Oh, that guy. It was Demario Richard. <laughs> okay. Darrell Henderson is significantly better than Demario Richard. I'm confident of that. And even with Darrell Henderson playing well, Memphis found ways to get Tony Pollard involved in the offense. Here we go. Here we go. So I, I'm glad that Tony Pollard and, and Darrell Henderson were able to kick the living shit out of the uh, – uh, the American conference talent that they were facing. I am a defensive end in that conference, Matt. We've <laughs> talked about this before. Look, I like Daryl Henderson. I don't want to turn this into a thing where I shit on him, but the point is this thing is so backwards. You do look like a defensive end. I do. I'm built like one. We got Tony Pollard's getting pumped up for being a backup to Daryl Henderson, who did go in the third round. Uh, I can uh, Demario Richard did not go in the NFL draft, to my knowledge. And Kalen Balaj, you know, so he played behind him. But the point is, we're, we're it feels like cherry picking. A am I wrong here? Is it not cherry picking, Matt, to say? It's not cherry picking to point out that Kalen Balaj averaged less than 500 rushing yards per season at the college level. So, okay, so can we talk about Alvin Kamara doing the same thing right around there? Alvin Kamara was much more productive. It's negligible difference, by the way. Very, very close. What I'll, what I'll say about, I, I, I fear full stepping behind this. I'll sit in the back and let mom and dad argue for a while. But I, what, I'll, what I'll say is this, is that if you're trying to make the Alvin Kamara comparison, Alvin Kamara had a discernible skill that was very clear as soon as he was on the field, and that was that he couldn't be tackled. And you could look either at just watching him or you could look at the numbers and see that. Kalen Balaj was not a yards creator even when he was in college. And I know that he's big and fast, but the same was true of Latavius Murray, and the same has been true of lots of running backs that have come through. Kristen Michael... <clears throat> Kristen, yeah, I know. I, I didn't want to say the name. I knew that was the name. Um, and so I, I think that when you're saying, when you're trying to pick out all right, who wasn't productive that is going to be good, what I'm going to go and look at, what, what is the, where is this, what was the situation, first of all, and Balazs was playing behind Demario Richard and DJ Foster. I went back and looked. He was also behind DJ Foster for a while. DJ Foster, man. There you go. It's fun times. There's a good one. Demario Richard, actually, you know, I don't think he got drafted, but there were people who really liked Demario Richard. And that, as soon as you said that name, I went, oh, yeah, that was a thing. But, um, but yeah, and so Alvin Kamara's situation was different. He was at Alabama. He had to go to Tennessee. For some reason, they really liked Jalen Hurd more than him there at Tennessee, and they ended up losing their job almost because of it. So it's a bit of a different situation to say that that's what we're looking at. I'm both. not trying to parallel outcomes. First of all, Kamara had almost as many receptions in half as many seasons at Tennessee, as Balaj did at Arizona State. Okay, Balaj had 44 in one year, but hold on. I'm not trying to parallel outcomes. What I'm saying is there were people that looked at Alvin Kamara. Go dig up the tweets. Go dig them up. Put everybody on notice. They took a dump 
on Alvin Kamara because of his collegiate production. Sure, people were up on the receiving. They were excited by that. But I guarantee, go go put a handle in there. Go type that name in and see who was taking craps on him because it was a lot of people that yeah, did you're not. you're probably right. But it was also clear in training camp of his rookie year in the NFL that Alvin Kamara was better than his collegiate production indicated. Kalen Balazs was a non-factor as a rookie. He's trending in the wrong direction, bro. Okay, we're talking about the Dolphins' backfield. It's between him and Drake. I'm not making an argument for Kalen Balazs over Alvin Kamara or Kalen Balazs over Marlon Mack or Kalen Balazs over anybody. I'm just telling you that in a backfield of two running backs that both couldn't, air quote, usurp the person in front of them, one of them has literally no production. Why are you air quoting usurp? That's just a word in the dictionary. Nobody is pulling for for Drake at this point, and uh, we're we're citing Kalen Balaj last year, but was his production that bad in limited opportunity? I mean, it only got 36 carries, for Christ's sakes. How do we know what he is? I'm just curious. How do we know? Are you hiding a crystal ball? Okay, thank you. We don't know. I I understand that we have to make judgments, and you're right. If you're going to look at limited production, look at the things that he did well. Alvin Kamara was a tackle breaker, had a ton of catches over his two years, was highly recruited, went to Bama, transferred to Tennessee, has all these things in his background. Balash has none of those. But in the argument of the Miami backfield, and the coaches are giving you insight to this as well, I don't know why we don't like Kalen Balaj as a flyer. Is he expensive? Well, Kalen Balaj was also recruited to Mesa Community College, but he turned it down to go to Arizona State. I mean, that's like talking about Marquise, Marquise Brown. Didn't Marquise Brown go to like a liberal arts school his first year, uh, Cactus of the Canyon or some crap, and then transfer? Cactus of the Canyon? You can't be serious. No, it's something like the Hills of the Canyons or something. You know, I fell on a cactus once. <laughs> I was backing up to take a picture of my family, and I fell on a cactus in Arizona. That happened. I wish I fell on a cactus right now. My wife had to pick the needles out of my ass took 45 minutes she's never looked at me the same since my dog ran face first into a cactus literally a month ago on a walk face first straight into it not a bright animal it was not my best day (sighs) see here's the here's the problem with this as i'm with both of you is that i don't think caleb balaj is very good but i also am definitely going to take a flyer on him because at some like i i care that he's the only running back depending on what you think of Mark Walton, I care that he's the only healthy running back going in Miami's backfield. I still care, even though it is Miami and that offensive line. The only Miami running back that I have rostered across all dynasty leagues in some deep league taxi squads, I have Miles Gaskin. That is it. 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 And speaking of my wife. (laughs) What? The hell of a segue. Yeah, yeah. I don't appreciate that she's relatively inconsiderate of the noise generated by the entire household in the morning, <laughs> but but I don't complain about it because I feel shame that I'm a night owl. Every day, I am meant to feel shame that I operate better in the late night hours, and I can't wake up in the morning. I have been fighting this for so many years, knowing that society wants me to be an early riser. Early risers are more successful. They're more productive. All these life hack books tell you you need to wake up early if you want to get more done. And I believe that's true. And I've been trying to rewire myself to be an early riser. 
and I can't do it. And only recently have I come to terms with the fact that I'm just a night owl and I'm going to live like a night owl, but the world is tilted against me. It's geared toward the morning person. And you know that based on how people act in the bedroom when the other person is asleep. When I'm asleep in the morning, my wife is banging doors and I'm not in a position to complain because the response is, we need to wake up anyway, right? But when I go to bed, if I make any noise that could wake her up, I might as well go sleep on the couch. And that's not fair. That's not fair, Nate. As a morning person, acknowledge that the world is prejudiced against the night owl. Wow. Wow. Prejudice against the night owl. I mean, that that's fair. There's a, uh, there's a stigma that people believe the, uh, the, the people that stay up later, the partiers, they're, they think I'm lazy. Yeah. You're lazy. You're playing video games. You're yeah. You got the munchies for whatever reason. I don't know how you get that. You're just not getting things done. How early do you wake up in the morning, Nate? 4 a.m. Every what? day, every day, 4 a.m. Some days, 3 a.m. He's amazing in that way. This is the thing. Like I want to be that. I'm impressed. I want to be able to do that. I just can't do it. But I can tell you I'm getting tired of the double standard, right? If I'm asleep at 7 o'clock in the morning, please don't bang shit around and respect that extra half hour I can get matters. I didn't know that this was going to turn into open mic slash open therapy night. <laughs> Where do you fall on this? Are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a morning person, but... My wife's a night person, and so that's not even true. She doesn't even stay up late. She just likes to sleep a lot. Like, she's one of those, like, on the nine-hour plans. God bless her. And so, yeah, I, I mean, good for her. I wish I could sleep that long. It just doesn't work out. I do. I am very, I think, I think I'm very conscious in the morning of of doors and things, but maybe I'm not. Maybe she doesn't even, like, know that, that she's banging doors. Maybe she just is not doesn't even think about about the morning routine. I mean, I creep across the floor at night to ensure that, that I don't disturb my wife and that she can get as much sleep as possible. But the same does not apply to the pod father in the morning hours. It's bullshit. You got to get you out of here on this, Ray. Who do you qualify for truth or status on? Who's that guy in the back of your roster you just can't drop? Can you, can you still be... well? <laughs> Unfortunately, the answer to that question is Josh Doxson, but I, I'm not going to go all in on Josh Doxson. Now, you've passive-aggressively mentioned him a couple times. I hate that he remains on all of my Dynasty rosters. That's the problem that we have right now, is that I hate that it's true, and I hate that every year I get to cuts, and I think, oh, I should probably cut the cord, and I can't do it. And I hate it, because I want to do it so badly, but I can't do it. I guess if I had to still be truther, I guess I'm truthering on Dante Moncrief still, I, I, I'm like, I'm in for sure. Oh, we're all in on him. But like, you look at his splits with Andrew Luck and without Andrew Luck, and it is impressive. He has, he has, I, I had it written down somewhere, but he has like something like 184 targets with Luck, or 141 targets, that's it. And he has like really good production, 14 touchdowns in that, in that game, uh, in that range. And then you go look at the other quarterbacks he's played with. He's played with Blake Bortles. He's played with Jacoby Brissett and he's played with late career, Matt Hasselbeck, and he's played with Cody Kessler. And it's just, he hasn't really had the opportunity. Now he's going to be the number two wide receiver in Pittsburgh. I think that that's pretty clearly set now Yep, playing with Ben Roethlisberger, playing in a good passing game. If it doesn't happen this year, I think you put truth or status on you, you, you know, you, you cut the cord, but this is the year that we'll, we'll find out for sure. 
The Mike Williams enthusiasts are hoping that Williams can deliver a Dante Moncrief with Andrew Luck season. That's the case for Mike Williams. So if that's the hope, why not just draft the actual guy with Ben Roethlisberger? Why not just draft the actual guy with Ben Roethlisberger? How many rounds later? Six rounds later? In Dynasty Startups, we're talking eight rounds later. Get Dante Moncrief, baby. All right, Ray, we did it. You're having human interaction on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I saw my wife uh, like for three days in a row. That was impressive. And I'm going to let the cynicism about the ridiculousness of all of this just shine through. We want maximum cynical Ray Summerlin. That, that, that would be that'd be my dream. That's where we're going. Everyone's like, oh, bon voyage. And they're like, no, 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 no. We got him. We got him. I've watched maybe three minutes of the preseason. That's more than me. I, I'm feeling great about that life decision. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and uh, I'm not as in the game as I was before. Oh yeah, but I'm I'm definitely in the game. We had a good show with Evan earlier this week. He's in, you know, mid-season form right now, that guy. He does so much work. It's incredible. Like it's incredible. He just churns it out. He's a horse. Like he's a workhorse. Like it's incredible. He just churns it out. I worked with him on Sharp's book this year. I did six. And I tapped out. I was like, all right, I got six, dude. <laughs> and he's just working. Coffee in one hand, other hand on the keyboard ready to go he's got it down he's clearly been on podcasts a lot he's really trained himself to get sound biteified and when you take all that knowledge and if he can make it so efficient that he can pack it into these bites it's like a machine gun i kind of see pat as a good manager yeah he's good uh he's really really good i, I could see him doing a good job does it matter my geography friend, I'm like, you know, okay, dude, just get out a globe. Okay, geography, done. He's like, dude, you're so ignorant. Yep. He's like, you realize how much of life is geography? Debunking the notion that it's just maps. Does it matter? Hey, Nate, do you remember all the capitals from fifth grade? South Dakota. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, there's, a, there's a French connection. I'm going to miss on this one. Oh, God. No, I'm going to miss on it. Pierre. Ah! It's a tough one. I gave you a tough one right out of the gate. How about Florida? Ah, uh, man, now we're... Oh, man. It's not Tallahassee, yeah. is it? Man, Tallahassee? No okay. All right. All right. Sorry, man. I know <laughs> I I'm very on the spot. we got a geography teacher on here. I'm getting I was about to say, that's on. an easy one. <laughs> is it Salem, Oregon? It is. That's correct. Bingo. 
Nate's a white man and a morning person, so the world is aligned for him perfectly. It's so perfect. He is set up for success on planet Earth. Wake up first. God, it's a good life. Everything smells better at 630. That's just true. Uh, <laughs> you do look like a defensive end. I do. I'm built like one. He's trending in the wrong direction, bro. Let me sip my Truly, by the way. Still looking for that sponsorship. Look at you with the Truly. I know, because White Claw is screwing me. Here we go. Who was Kalen Balaj losing touches to at Arizona State? What was his name, Nate? Air quote, usurp. For all the kids out there, you're in the midst of a really bad take. This is the perfect example of what not to do in fantasy football analysis. Go ahead, Nate. Wow. Wow, prejudice against the night, Alan. You know I fell on a cactus once. I wish I fell on a cactus right now. My wife had to pick the needles out of my ass. Took 45 minutes. She's never looked at me the same since. Does it matter? It's a treat to have Raymond Sutherland on the program. Just when you thought he was out, we pull him back in. Oh, oh it's Sumlin. Sumlin, yeah, I'm Sumlin. We have Raymond Sumlin on the program. You are <laughs> over too. Raymond Sutherland is on the program. <laughs> Sutherland. I can't believe I keep getting this wrong. This is embarrassing. I'm going to answer your question with a question. Does it matter? Shameless nihilism. I've never made you speechless ever before. Well, I'm the right guy for this show then. When you talk about DeAndre Hopkins, that's a bit of a spurious argument. Uh, I mean, I think he's a no doubter. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm out on you, man. I'm out. You might be sure. Great. Roger Goodell had to do Robert Kraft a solid after he fucked him with Deflategate. Beat hard. I know it's Bethard. What if I told you Juju Smith-Schuster catches 300 balls from the jugs machine after every practice? That fucking happened. Well, I mean, he has an earring. And he's dating multiple women on reality shows. He's doing a great job. Big cock and handsome, I get it. I'm all about tough questions on the show. You know that, Nate. You've yet to answer one correctly in three years. I think I agree with you, but when you said it, it kind of took me back. It's why we do the show, Ray. It's why we do the show. Dude, Mike tears ACL tomorrow and it might be over. Oh, Jesus, Ray. You might be sure. Great. Oh, see, 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 you're back. Air quote, usurp. Pete Carroll's injury optimism could power a thousand suns had he not shared a draft class with Saquon Barkley. Does it matter? They're not even going to use anesthesia. He doesn't need it. They're just going to be drilling through muscle. Oh, God. Oh, God. One of the great bust wide receivers of all time. Does it matter? my Jeremy McNichols truther card has been reinstated. It's too bad they never had an opportunity to get Jeremy McNichols touches. Oh, wait. They drafted him! I'm gone, guys. <laughs> Later. Yeah, Nate, you're dismissed. Does it matter? Who the fuck is Hayden Hurst? I had Hayden Hurst ranked ahead of Dallas Goddard last year, and it's one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Hashtag perspective. Hey, I'm, I can be a homer now. I'm an amateur. Who cares? Welcome home. Oh, I get it. Every NFL prospect we get is projected to go on day two and falls to the fifth round. Air quote, usurp. Dare Agun Boale. Does it matter?
Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't say cock. You said cock. I said penis. Continue with the show.